so uh, this morning we are um, in the middle of a very, very short uh, series, three weeks, looking at Advent and looking at a particular aspect of Advent. And um, so we are... Sorry, let me just focus. I kind of feel like I'm a bit of the sandwich filler this week. Okay, that's what I feel like. Depends on the sandwich, doesn't it? Do you know, in tuna and mayonnaise with onions and everything else, great. Salami, bleh. eggy, bleh. Okay, you can at the end of this preach, you can decide what sort of filler I'm going to be. But that's what I feel like—a bit of a filler, because we are focusing on a particular set of verses in Isaiah, and last week, Joel did an amazingly good job on telling us about wonderful counsellor, almighty God, and next week, Roger will do an amazing job preaching about Jesus being the Prince of Peace, and I'm the filler, okay, because in the middle of that little phrase we're going to read in a minute is a little phrase which um, I've never really considered, if I'm being honest, and a poll, a very scientific poll in the office of two people last week told me that uh, neither of us had ever preached on this before and neither of us had ever heard anybody preach on it before. Um, and then you go to the commentaries and frankly it's a bit like looking at a chocolate um, fire guard. It's like they talk a lot about wonderful counsellor, a huge amount, and they talk a lot about Prince of Peace and in the middle they kind of brush over what I'm going to be preaching on this morning. So I feel really inadequate and I kind of feel a little bit in trepidation, uh, but I do feel like the sandwich filler. What I want to do this morning is I want us to turn our telescopes around a little bit. You see, um, all of us, and I know I'm in some sensitive sensitive areas here with some people, but all of us have an experience of our Father in some form, whether that's absence or whether they were a fantastic Father and everything in between. And it's easy for us as humans to look at God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit through the eyes of our experience and have a distorted view of who God is, who Jesus is, who the Holy Spirit is because of our experience rather than looking at it from the other angle of what is God like, what is Jesus like, what is the Holy Spirit like, so how can we become like him? Okay, if you think about the telescope, if you look through the wrong end, the distortion is that actually everything looks really small and and kind of out of focus and not really helpful. If you look through it properly, you get the image that you're looking for. And... What I want to do this morning is move our focus away from a distortion of who God is, who Jesus is, and consider actually what he really is like and how can we become more like him. Does that make sense? Am I making any sense whatsoever so far? I just want to move your your view of Jesus along a little bit. And I realize, as I said, I'm in some sensitive areas. If I tread on things, I'm really sorry it's not my intention. Um, I'm trying to lift Jesus. I'm trying to 
help us to view Jesus as the Bible views him. And we're focusing on Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Very familiar. Uh, when I was a child, I, I grew up singing um, the Messiah every year, several times a year as part of a, um, a school choir, but also as a musician. We were part of that. And every year, and this is one of the highlights of the, of the Messiah, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And I'm going to be focusing on that little phrase, Everlasting Father. So thank you, Roger. So it's really important as we start off to note that Isaiah, who's writing this, lived 800 years before Jesus was born, and Isaiah is not Trinitarian. Okay? He doesn't have a view of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He has a view of Yahweh, there is one God. One God, that's it. Really important we do that, because we mustn't read into the New Testament, uh, sorry, the Old Testament, through, new, through our eyes now, looking back. We have to understand what it was like for Isaiah. He was prophesying about a baby coming, and he didn't have a view of God the Father. He didn't have a view of God the Son, or God the Holy Spirit. It was Yahweh, one God. That's it. And so in his eyes, he's prophesying this child is going to be born to a virgin, into a people who needed it. And this child was going to be born. His government was going to know no end. It was going to continue forever. And his name was going to be Wonderful Counselor, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So we need to consider... First of all, what is it Isaiah is seeing in his mind's eye as he's prophesying this? Well, he's looking at this baby who's going to be born. He's going to be a father, very much like a king is the father of the nation. Like he's the head of the nation. He's the one from whom all the attributes and all the, the ways and vision and ways of doing things flow. Not like... Our king, I'm not going to make any comments about our king. But in the Old Testament days, a king represented, he was the father of the whole nation. They were meant to be like the king. He was the father. Everything flowed from him. And when the king died, the nation was in trouble because the father of the nation had died with him. He represents everything that is good about the nation. A bit like Abraham, who Paul in Romans calls the father of all nations. It doesn't mean that Abraham is God the father. It's just simply that Abraham is the father of all nations. Many nations. And Abraham sets the tone and vision and values for what's to follow. There are some other things that you might want to consider about what it means to be father of something. So I've been in New Frontiers now for 40 years. 
And I was, lived in Eastbourne, and just down the road was a man called, <coughs> excuse me, could somebody just get me some water? Would that be all right? Was a man called Terry Virgo. <coughs> I do beg your pardon. Terry um, was an apostle, is an apostle, um, living out of Brighton, planting churches uh, into, first of all, this country, and then to the nations beyond, and became the father of New Frontiers. Okay? He was the father of everything that we love today. We exist as a church because of what Terry did back in the 70s and 80s. Thank you so much. Back in the 70s and 80s. Thank you. He set the tone and vision and values of everything that we, we enjoy now. And we have his DNA in our church. You might not recognize it, but it's there. Why do you think we talk about grace so much? Why do we talk about mercy? Why do we talk about um, integrity? Why do we talk about all sorts of things all the time? Because people like Roger and myself and others in this, in this very room were brought up on those values by the father of our church. Like I said, Abraham. Or you could look at it in a different way, that actually, just like a stream has a place where it bubbles up first, the source of the stream. Okay? Has anybody ever been to the source of the Thames, for example? A little, little bubble comes out of the ground, it grows, it comes down the valleys, it's joined by other rivers, and as it gets towards the sea, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And eventually merges into the sea. The head of the stream, the head of the river. You could look at the everlasting father in those terms. He's the source. He's the start, starting place. The place where it all begins. But it doesn't stay like that. It grows and grows and grows and grows. Paul looks at it this way in Romans. He says that, effectively, Adam was the father of all mankind. And with him, in his DNA imprint into us, sadly, is sin and sickness, disease, death. We die because Adam died. We sin because Adam sinned. In Romans... Chapter 5, he, Paul flips this and says, well, Adam was the first father, but Jesus is now the father of everything that we have. He's now the father of the church, the redeemed. And because Jesus lived and died and was resurrected from the dead and has ascended into heaven, so now will we, because his DNA... When we become Christians, his DNA is imprinted into us. That desire not to sin anymore. As we get closer to Jesus, we, that desire gets stronger and stronger. Why? Because Jesus himself didn't sin. It's imprinted into us. And so, Jesus becomes the everlasting Father. Let's look at Colossians 
key verses in understanding this whole thing. Jesus, in Colossians, Paul describes Jesus as this. He's the, uh, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Remember, this is Jesus. And he is the head of the church, the body. He is the beginning. He is the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he would be preeminent. For in him, this is the key verse, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. I'll read that again. That's such, so important. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether in earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus is the exact representation of the Father, God the Father. He's the exact representation. Everything that God is, Jesus is. Everything that God values, Jesus values. Everything that God does, Jesus does. You say, I don't do anything unless I see the Father doing it first. Everything. If you look at Jesus, consider him in the Gospels, what you're seeing is the exact representation of the Father. Everything. There's nothing in the Gospels that Jesus does that does not in some way represent the Father. Here's some scriptures just to bag it up. And please make note of them. It's important that um, you don't just assume that we're saying these things and it's true, because they might not be. I'm quite well known for blagging things. This could be a blag. Look it up. Go and find out. In John chapter 10, in verse 38, at 30 and 38, Jesus says this about himself, I and the Father are one. And the, as it says, you could not get a cigarette paper between them. I and the Father are one. You can't tell one from the other. You can't split them apart. Verse 38, he says this, but if, he's talking about works, but if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. John 14. Verse 6, Jesus says this, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In the, con in the conversation that follows with Philip, he says in verse 9 and 10, don't think we've got them there, no. In verse 9 and 10, he says this, Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you for such a long time? Anyone who has seen me, has seen the Father. How can you say, shows the Father? 
Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe the evidence of the works themselves. And Jesus is preaching in, or talking to his disciples in John chapter 14, 15, 16. He's repeating all the time, I am in the Father, the Father is in me. I am the exact representation of the Father. I am the Father, the Father is me. Da, 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 da. On and on and on. It's almost like he's kind of getting his finger and he's saying to the disciples, get this in your school. I am the fa- in the Father and the Father's in me. I am the Father of one. I don't do anything unless I see the Father doing it. Bang, bang, bang. Got it, Roger? He's driving it home. Jesus is called the everlasting Father. Easy for us to associate with the Prince of Peace. Roger's got an easy preach next week. I'm so jealous. We better do a good job of it. And last week, wonderful counselor, almighty God. It's easy for us to associate, but Let's think about what it means for Jesus to be the everlasting Father. I think I've established, I've tried to establish his his credentials in this matter. Jesus isn't like our earthly fathers. So I've been a father now for over 35 years. I have to say my testimony is that occasionally I did a good job. Mostly it was okay, and sometimes it was pretty pants. If my, if my daughters and my son were stood here, I'm sure they'd have a long list of things that would have preferred me not to have done. You spoil my life. There are things that I regret. There's things that I've had to repent of. There are things that I've had to say to my children, I'm really sorry, I should not have done that, or said that. And I think about my own father, who's dead now, and I recognize some things in him that I really, really appreciate. And I also recognize there are some things that I wouldn't want to be anywhere near. Jesus is not like me. Thank God. Can you imagine sitting here singing all those songs and it was all about me? It would be so disappointing for everybody. It's not about me. It's not, Jesus is not like me. Thank God Jesus is not like my father. Some of you had wonderful fathers. Listen, Jesus is not like your wonderful father. He's far, 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 far better. Jesus is the exact representation of the father. And therefore, he presents to us the perfect fatherhood that we should aspire to. If you're a husband, father with kids right now that you're bringing up, Aspire to be like the Father. 
So what does the Father give us? He gives us protection. The Father is meant to protect, and the Heavenly Father protects us. Now, we might kind of consider some of the circumstances we're going through and wonder how that works, but actually, if God the Father wasn't involved in your life, it would be far worse than it is right now. He protects us. What does it say in Proverbs? The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and they're saved. Protected. Every day in every way, Jesus protects you as your Father. Because I'm in Christ. And because I'm in Christ, I know that I'm utterly protected from anything that the evil one can throw against me. Anything. Think about Job. How awful life was for Job. Yet, God the Father is protecting him through it all. Father is meant to be the provider. God the Father, Jesus the eternal Father, provides for us. Psalm 23 is just a great psalm to dwell on and think about. How he leads us in paths, in pastures, along the river, over the hurdles and through the thing. And even, even, even when we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. You're crossing your staff, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Providing for us. Every day, Jesus is providing for you. I, I, I say sometimes when I go down to the British Cafe, jokingly, um, and they've got the Times and Star there, and I often say to them, I'm just looking in the obituary just to make sure I'm not in there. Okay? I will be one day, yes, that's right. But I won't read it then. But the very fact of the matter is, the very breath that I'm drawing right now bore you silly, it's actually a provision from God. Very breath. So he provides in so many different ways. How many times do we ask God for help? We pray and some miraculous provision happens. It happens every day. You just don't recognize it sometimes. Every day, in every way, the food that we eat, the clothes we wear, the jobs we have, the relationships we have, they're provision from the Eternal Father. Think about it in another way, the very fact that you're part of this church, that's part of the provision for this, for you right now. He's meant to give us security. He's the rock on which we can build. He's the rock. We can choose to build on the right rock, the right foundations. Jesus provides those for us, in the Gospels, he tells us how we're meant to live and how we're meant to be. 
We're meant to, how we're supposed to speak, how we're meant to be around people. And finally, Father offers us discipline. Isn't that wonderful that you can be discipled by the Father? I have to say that as a father, that was the, both the easiest part of my life and the hardest part, disciplining the children. Let's just think about some of the... So these are the things that the father is supposed to give us, protection, provision, security, discipline. Let's just think about some of the characteristics of what the eternal father, Jesus, has and how we should become. First of all, we're going to be thinking a lot in John 1 because that tells us an awful lot about Jesus himself. 1.14. Again, please don't just assume that I'm telling the truth. John says this about the, Jesus. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The first characteristics I want to draw your attention to is Jesus is full of grace and truth. Full of it. Full of grace. Grace in so much as he knows the people around him are going to make complete, utter failures of the things he says. I was listening to a podcast the other day and even at the, even at the table where he's saying, this is it guys, the next few days, son of man's going to suffer. And this is what's going to happen and all the rest of it that's going on. His disciples are arguing who's going to sit on his left hand side, who's going to sit on his right hand side. Peter say, no, 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 I'll never deny you, I'll never do it. No, not me. He's got one disciple sitting in front of him who Jesus knows is going to deny him and betray him and hand him over to Romans to be crucified and executed. Even in that moment, as he's breaking bread with them, he's full of grace and truth. Sing that song this morning, Grace and Mercy Found Me. I just, oh, wow. Because of, not despite, but because of my sin, my stupidity, and my lack of care and everything else, Jesus still comes to me because of that, full of grace and truth. What we're meant to be with each other and the world around us. Graceful, truthful. Telling it as it is, but with grace. Not papering over the cracks because we don't want to be disliked, but with grace. Just run into Luke 7 just for a second. Compassion. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said, do not weep. He's compassionate. The everlasting father is compassionate to his children. He knows, he cares, he understands. He weeps for you. He hurts with you. He's compassionate. Not like me. You know, I remember when one of the kids fell over once and they really hurt themselves badly and I said, well, you'll never do that again, will he? That was the extent of my compassion, stupid boy. 
Jesus isn't like that with us. He's compassionate. Going back to 1, John 1, verse 14 again, we're told that he's, we're full of glory. It was, I can't, I can't imagine what it must have been like to walk around with Jesus, but it must have been fantastic. Full of glory. What was his glory? It was grace and truth. John 1 verse 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Jesus is full of life. Full of it. He must have been quite an interesting person to be around. Come on then, Jesus. We've got these 5,000 people. What are you going to do? They're all starving. Oh, I know. Let's get some bread. Let's get some fish. Let's divide it up. And actually, do you know what? I'm not just going to provide for these 5,000 people, but there's going to be loads left over. Wow, oh, fantastic. It must have been a very attractive person to be around at times. And John says he was full of life. And he was full of light. He shone into the dark places. He revealed things. Colossians 1.27, at the end of that passage that we've just been talking about, a bit further on, it says this, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Jesus brings and is full of hope. Light and life to all he brings. Risen with healing in his wings. He is full of hope. And how do I know that? Well, Christ is in me. I'm not just in Christ, but Christ is in me. He deposits that hope in me. Hebrews, sorry, John 1 verse 1, eternal. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Eternal Father, everlasting Father. From before time began to when time finishes, and thereafter, Jesus exists. He wasn't created. He wasn't spoken to being like we were. He was eternal, everlasting, forever. And ever, 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 and ever. Forever. Just one last thought. He was in, in Hebrews 1 verse 9. We're told that he was full of righteousness. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. This is just some of who the Father is, the eternal, everlasting Father in Jesus. It's who we're meant to be. That's what we're journeying towards. As I go along my life, I recognize, you know, sometimes I'm not full of grace and truth. I'm certainly not full of compassion. I'm definitely not full of glory. Sometimes I want to sleep, not life. Sometimes around my, me, when I, words come out of my mouth, can be difficult and critical, bring death to people in their innermost being. Sometimes I can be very cutting. My words don't bring life. Sometimes I want to hide things into the darkness. 
I'd prefer it if you didn't know about that. Sometimes I'm just downright unhopeful and despairing. I'm certainly not eternal. One day this flesh will cease and I will be in the obituary column. I'd love to know what it's going to say. Certainly not full of righteousness. But what I am is, I'm walking with Jesus to become every day a bit more of those things that I'm meant to be. Every day. You know, I'm more full of grace now than I was 40 years ago. You might find that hard to believe, but it's true. And so on and so forth. All those things we've looked at, and there, every day, I'm becoming more and more like Jesus. That's what's meant to happen. I'm meant to be, carry the DNA of the everlasting Father. And one day, that DNA will find its fruition. When I've died and I've been in the obituary column, one day I will find myself in glory, worshipping Jesus with my eternal life that is part of my DNA. That's why Paul says, for me to live is Christ. In other words, as I'm living, I'm living out this Christ life, Father thing, that he's been, meant, we're meant to be. For me to live is Christ, but to die... To die will be gain. Jesus' kingdom is forever lasting, forever last, from everlasting to everlasting. That Isaiah 9 passage puts it that way. Hebrews puts it this way Your throne of God is forever and ever. The scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have the righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Peter puts it this way, for in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. It's eternal. I just want to have one final thought because this has been about the everlasting Father. And the, my last thought is this, that Jesus doesn't just exhibit the characteristics of the eternal Father, everlasting Father. Jesus exhibits the whole motherhood of, Christ, of, of God as well. Now, I use this term very carefully, okay, because I know I'm on something nice. Jesus in himself, he says, he looks at Jerusalem, he's broken, and he says, oh, oh I would have gathered you like a hen gathers her chickens. I would have gathered you. I would have brought you in like a hen with the chickens, like a mother with the children, protecting them, caring for them. One of the interesting things I've noticed over the last few weeks, you know, we talk about Ukraine and Gaza and Israel and all that goes on, but the role that the mother has in protecting the child as much as possible, to the, even to their own detriment, to their own death, Protecting that child. Hazel, if I attacked Ella, Hope, I can't remember. Ella, I was right. Ella Hope, there you go. If I attacked Ella, Ella Hope right now, 
I'd expect Martin to jump out of his seat, but do you know what? I'd expect Hazel to protect that baby as much as possible. That's what Jesus said. I would have gathered you like a hen gathers chickens. Listen, Jesus is everything to everybody, all in all. And that's the point I'm trying to make at that point. I just don't want to miss it. Don't want to miss that Jesus is the everlasting Father, but He gathers His hens like chicken, uh, chickens like hens, protects to the uttermost, to the point of death on a cross. Let's just pray, and then I think we'll finish. Father. Heavenly Father, God the Father, we want to thank you that this prophecy tells us about a child who's coming who will be an everlasting father. I want to thank you, Jesus, that you were born into a stable, not just as the Prince of Peace, not just a wonderful counsellor, but as the everlasting father, the head of the church, the father to all that comes behind him. Father, thank you. Jesus, thank you that in you we have life and light. We have your DNA imprinted into us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are making us more and more like you every single day. Thank you that you have put into us that rich inheritance of our eternal life. Thank you that you are the guarantee of everything that's happening. You're the firstborn of all creation. It's no wonder we just come up this time of year particularly, but through our lives and say, oh, come, let us adore him. Let us adore him. Father, thank you that your grace and mercy found me because of my sin. You found me. Grace and mercy found you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.